0: This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle, streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710Sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We got some good text over the defense. Second half of the year last year, Seahawks D was the best in the league at points per game. We will have a top three defense this year. Whoa! That's Captain Optimus. Captain Optimism checking in. I would love that, but you got to be a little more realistic than that, right? Our pass rushing defense will be top 10. Get him. Stafford runs away scared. I mean, I'd, I'd like to see that happen too. Don't get me wrong because I hate the Rams. But Jaron Reed's impact will not be something that is terribly missed, I think. I I think that's probably about how I I, try, I size it up. Jay Reed was the best run stopper on the team. That comes from the 360. Mm-hmm. Even if that's true. I don't know. Dude, you can find run stoppers. They got Al Woods, right? Big mountain of a man in there to to plug the middle. And whether or not Robert Kim Kimdiche makes an impact, you were paying Jaron Reed to be a run stopper and some, right? That that was the two-year deal that he was signed to was premised on the idea that he was going to get back to the kind of production that he had as a third-year player, that he was going to provide some pass rush at defensive tackle. And and I don't think he really did that last year. And if, if that's the case, and if there's one thing that I can say, John Schneider... When he signs a defensive tackle, you can generally be pretty assured that that dude's going to be a really competent run stopper. Whether it was Tony McDaniel, Ataba Rubin, uh, there's just so many different guys that he's he's got a knack for being able to find that you don't you don't need to pay big money for an interior defensive lineman who's a run stopper.
1: Kuna Ford is a pretty good player, you know? And um, I, I would say as far as D J goes, I, I, I'm pretty skeptical based off of what I've seen thus far.
0: I would tend to agree with you. I, I feel that way with both he and he and he and Alden Smith. Smith
1: are, are the, Smith has shown a little more though. I uh, like to to his credit. Kim Dice, I, I feel like and, and now he's got an injury
0: that he's dealing with. He's, he's got an uphill battle. The offense was the best unit in Seattle's team last year. Yeah. Yet it feels like the offense is kind of the question mark, and I understand it, and yesterday was not a particularly good day at the office for it.
1: No, it wasn't. They were really sloppy from the get-go, and you had physically just inaccurate snaps. You had bad snaps, bad snap exchanges, fumbles, interceptions, wide open overthrows, drops. It just didn't look crisp, and also the big problem from last year, Danny was at times... And this has always been Russell Wilson's biggest bugaboo is he holds on to the football too long. There was a point in practice where after he held on to the ball and scrambled upfield where Bobby Wagner told him, you're going to have to pass sometime as he ran back to the huddle, which made me laugh and look, it's it's, it's trash talk. I would not read anything into it more than, you know, just that individual moment there. This is stuff that happens every single down on a football field. But it was one of those days that the offense definitely wants to have back which means it could be a good. It, it might be something that they need to have so that they can look at what they did wrong and attack it head-on as opposed to just having the, I guess, same old, same old every single day. These are days that you can challenge yourselves to be better.
0: Here's Pete Carroll and what he had to say about the offense after practice.
1: Today was a hard day for the offense. You know, we we, we didn't handle the ball very well. We had some, some ball-handling things that we didn't do well. So... um Nah, you know, I don't think this was a great day for us to improve. I think we gotta we gotta come back and bounce back from this day.
0: That's about as as stern as you're gonna hear, Pete. I mean that, that honestly he doesn't he doesn't get much more other than, hey, we didn't get a whole lot accomplished here. And to be honest, I'm not surprised, and I don't think that this is a bad sign. I, I think I think we need to be prepared for a year long a year long sort of hopefully, upward trajectory for the offense. I don't think that they're necessarily going to hit the ground running like they did last year. I don't think it's going to be kind of fire out of the chute where the offense is just scoring at will, and the real question is your tissue paper defense. I think think that this offense is—there's going to be a little bit of work in progress, and the fair way to evaluate it is to see an upward trajectory, that the second half of the season is better than the first half that the second quarter, the second four games of the season are better than the first four quarter, four four games of the season. I think, I think that's the kind of progress that you're going to want to see.
1: Yeah, and if you get that at the end of the year, you're going to take that every single time over what you had in the first half of last season, which was impressive and showed that Russell Wilson is one of the best quarterbacks in the game, but it is really about how you close this thing out. And that's why I understand entirely why... While some people freak out about it, Pete Carroll went into this offseason saying that we need to run the football more effectively. And I will say one of the things that was a part of yesterday's practices was that you did not see Chris Carson out there. It was Rashad Penny essentially working exclusively with the ones, and I, I there is a vast gap between those two right now. I, I don't know if Penny's still shaking off the cobwebs or what, but I, I feel like that guy's got uh, a ways to go to get back to being, I think, the kind of guy that we saw it, Towards the end of 2019 before
0: he got hurt. Is it it his burst?
1: The burst is there from time to time, but it feels like it takes a while for him to get to the burst. And when I saw Carson out there, Carson is basically like dancing around dudes looking agile. Just incredibly agile. And we've known that Carson's a really incredible combination of both agility and power. You know, you don't find that in running backs very often. And with Penny... I. I don't know if Penny's trying to figure it out or what, but like, yeah, the, I, I don't see the, that wiggle, I guess, with that, that Carson has. And I, I think he needs some of that wiggle.
0: It's, it's funny because Carson was never, he's, he's certainly not a scat back. Like, he's a big, no. powerful dude, right? But, and, and Penny's been characterized as the guy that's got the right size and speed quotient, that he's someone that can make a cut, that he is the home run hitter out of the two. Like he's the guy that's really capable of reeling off big runs. That he's he's more explosive than you'd expect for a guy that's that that's got his size. I think in today's NFL more than ever, I think in today's NFL more than ever, it matters how you finish. It matters yep. how you finish, and I think Tampa Bay is a great example of that. Last year, halfway through the season, it looked like they might not make the playoffs, right? It was generally underwhelming, and I don't think that their offense ever got to where it was a buzzsaw or anything, but they were better the second half of the season than they were the first half, and that mm-hmm. was Tom Brady throwing in an offense. I, I remember halfway through thinking, why did he pick Tampa? Like, why did, why did he go to an offense that didn't necessarily, I didn't think was, was, was built to suit his skill set? What you saw was that he gradually, whether it was the offense adapting to him or him adapting to the offense, that's the model that you hold out. for for what you want from a team, that you don't have a start that sinks you. But if you lose three of your first eight games, that's not some sort of hobbling. As long as you don't knock yourself out of contention, that you can afford a few stumbles early in the year if if you really close down the stretch, which is honestly how Seattle used to be built. I mean, that was 2012, 2013, 2014. All of those seasons, especially 2012 and 2014, it was how they finished. That was, that, that was the reason. That's all that mattered. The, what happened earlier in the year wasn't nearly as important or significant as how you finished. No doubt. And it's funny
1: though, we'll likely see some more overreactions and we ourselves might even overreact as the season begins to a couple of Dud performances if they happen, and guess what? It's to be expected. I mean, seventeen games is a lot of games, and if you're expecting your offense to throw a perfect game over the course of the season, you're crazy. I mean, I don't even think the the uh, what was it? The thirteen Denver Broncos, and of course, obviously, you saw what they did in the Super Bowl. Uh, the the two thousand seven New England Patriots, like it just doesn't happen. You're going to have some clunkers from your offense.
0: Russell is also adjusting to a new playbook, right? Like, this is the first time since he was a rookie that he is going to be, yes, he changed offensive coordinators before, but he never changed offenses. When Brian Schottenheimer came in, they kept the majority of the playbook the same, and they did different things, and it was just one voice. You didn't have, before it was Tom Cable was the running game coordinator, and he was calling the protections. Daryl Bevel was the passing game coordinator, and he was technically calling the plays, but there was, Brian Schottenheimer came in. Came in to provide one voice. He was going to be the one, the the one person that it all flowed through. But he was largely working with a playbook that existed here. I think the estimates I heard were seventy percent of, of the plays were held over. That's not the case for Shane Waldron. This is this is an entirely new turnover. I'm optimistic for what that means for Russell. Because that change, and even if there are some growing pains along the way, might mean that we find things that Russell is capable of doing, or Waldron adapts his offense to things that accentuate Russ's skill set, that you sort of unlock some potential that hasn't hasn't really been revealed yet because he's been kind of coloring within the lines of the same playbook. Yeah, and now
1: you're hoping. I mean, it's hope too. I mean, for all Mm -hmm. we know, it could be some more of the same. Ultimately, if... Pete Carroll sees things that maybe aren't going in the direction that he wants. Maybe you see him say, "Look, these were some things that we used to do that works and, and if we're not doing them, we're we're foolish." And and you know what, by the way, like that that's a that's a point to be made. You know, there were some successful elements of this offense in the past, so you're not totally reinventing the wheel. You just have to find ways to address this huge problem at the end of last year where you hit your dry spell.
0: You have to find ways to get out of a rut. I think more than anything that that's that when this offense gets in a rut, and it used to happen within games where you'd see it. Like, what do you, what do you do to get things going? What what do you do? What do you do if you've gone a couple series where you haven't really moved the ball? How do how do you get things firing up? And last year, it was a rut that I, I'd never seen this offense get into a rut like that since Russ's first or second year, where it seemed for weeks at a time. Like entire games where it never clicked into gear, it never clicked into gear against the Giants, and that and that home loss to the Giants, which was the worst loss of the season, it never it never clicked into gear. Like they they just never got going against the Rams in the playoffs. They just never got going, and you have to have answers for that. You have to have ways to be able to, especially with a quarterback as good as Russ. And I felt like that Russ's Russ's strengths with making big plays kind of became weaknesses when he was pressing to try and get out of. He started looking for bigger chunks rather than, okay, let's get a couple of easy completions. Let's get a couple of first downs and that'll loosen everything. Everything became, man, if we can just get a couple of big plays that will make them back off what they're doing. All what we need to do is get a couple of big plays and then they get one. They get one in the playoff game too. And it's almost like it's confirmation,
1: but it's not really because of how long it took to get to that point. So, I do feel like there's an overemphasis now on all that short stuff. And I, I don't think that necessarily means that they're going to be a dink and dunk offense or something this coming season. I actually think it's good. Like There, there needs to be some small rewiring here. Because Russ is getting older. Russ is not going to be able to extend the plays to the same degree that he was in the past. And yeah, you do not want to remove that entirely, his ability to make the big play happen. But he has to be better with them and i think the best way to be better with them and to make them more effective is to find ways to attack a defense that knows that you want to take it over the top
0: to build up to that right yeah make make them stop you underneath and that will leave things more open down the field make them make them t- make adjust to take that away from you rather than you take away seattle's best shot and then they kind of struggle to find anything else underneath because that's what it seemed like happened last year. And whether that is running the football when you have a second safety holding back or whether that is finding a shorter timing-based passing game to be able to find something more consistently, you you, you need to find an answer where if things – you go a series or two where not much is happening that you're able to – okay. We we've got something that we go to 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 pick up some first downs and to regenerate some momentum. So you're not going entire quarters at a time with your offense just making sounds and grinding gears because it can't get out of its own way.
1: Right, and and I I feel like the growing pains now are going to be good. They really are, and I I think you just have to be patient, and that is I think a little bit more difficult to do just because of the way that the season ended last year. But try to forget the end of last year because that is a totally different team and a totally different offense with totally different pieces and parts. And you're hoping that your new offensive lineman and that your new offensive coordinator is going to be able to make some things a little bit
0: different. It is Danny and Gallant. It is time for us to go around the NFL. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness it's time to go around the nfl the bottom line on the biggest stories in the nfl every morning at 9 15 with danny and galant
2: today's an exceptional day
1: welcome back Mora.
2: thanks i get a big air horn for the welcome back i appreciate it <laughs> i missed you guys
0: missed you too missed you too Mora. welcome back
2: thank you I've been like checking Twitter and and, like still going through all the sports stories in the morning. And then I just try to talk to my family about them, but they don't want to talk about them as much as you guys do. (laughs) (laughs) All right, first up, we got an. Somewhat positive update from Pete Carroll yesterday on rookie wide receiver Dwayne Eskridge.
1: He's figured out some, uh, he and the, the equipment guys have figured out an equipment thing with shoes, shoes wise. He ran really well if It was this, this morning or yesterday. I can't remember which day it was. I think it might have been this morning. He, he ran really well. Uh, it's a really good positive sign. He felt great about it. Didn't feel things. So we got to build up some days of conditioning and, and, and start to figure out where we can get him back out. You think he got inserts? Maybe. Some Dr. Scholes. Or some Dr. Scholl's. I have inserts. They're great. Love them.
0: This is weird, man. Like like when I hear something like that, I'm like, okay, so it's something as simple as an insert. This is what it makes me think. That they're trying to find ways to avoid a more serious remedy that will keep him on the field. And I don't think from that regard that this is necessarily a positive. They're trying to find some sort of workable fix rather than a more drastic. Look, if this was as simple as hey this this toe issue would go away if he used these inserts, they would have tried this a long time ago. I mean, it's been it's been a significant amount of time now, right? It has. Because yeah. he, he he wasn't he was on the field like there was more than a month gap between when he was watching during the mini camp and now. It means that it hasn't settled down the way that they hoped it would. That's what it says to me. Yeah, probably.
1: I got I got to ask some questions. I actually have a resource for this. My doc gave me your, the inserts.
0: What, what, is that for your toes?
1: Uh no, it's for like cause I, I have like those weird arched arched feet thing.
0: Yeah, I think this is something entirely Yeah,
1: different, I know. Paul. It's entire but, but again, podiatrist is the same thing, right? You're doing you're doing the entire foot. I'm going to ask questions. I,
0: I don't know, Paul. I don't know if you're Listen, you're, I'm not relating I it for don't, Paul's I don't, I'm I not don't, relating it.
1: I'm not relating I, it. I'm just I, I'm just going to ask if, questions.
0: I don't know if your your issue with your arches has. I'm not much relating to do it. I'm not relating NFL it. Play.
1: I'm not. I'm not relating it. I'm just, just saying. I'm, I'm going to try to pick his
0: brain tonight. How about that? Okay. That's all I was trying to say. I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. Tune in
2: tomorrow for updates from Paul's podiatrist. Um, <laughs> yeah. Dwayne all F- right. F- I'm just going to F- shut F-
0: up now. I'm just going to shut up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, a little uh, news in the broadcasting field of the NFL. Michael McCarthy of Front Office Sports reports that Robert Griffin is finalizing a deal with ESPN. Fox Sports was also interested. The deal is to call college football games, but McCarthy says that Griffin could also have a role in NFL coverage once everything is set.
0: I am so shocked that Robert Griffin's career didn't work out better as a player.
1: What was it? I mean, is it the personality? Because he was so gifted and we weren't playing in an era of football where that injury should have been the end of his career
0: it didn't help that he continued to play hurt like i'll believe i, I and i could see that maybe he wasn't as fast as he was that rookie year because of the injuries and because he played on it hurt but i do think that there's there's some like you talk the washington the porters who cover washington football team will all tell you that covered griffin when he was the starter there that it was he had a Teammates did not love him. That there was there was a gap between his teammates and him, which isn't unusual with quarterbacks. It's it's weird to me. He's going to be great in the booth. I'll just tell everybody he is going to be absolutely really? fantastic. Yes, the way he talks about the game, his understanding of it, and the way he relates to an audience is phenomenal. Interesting. I
1: I've, I haven't seen it. I guess before. Uh,
0: period. When I hate this this term of impressive interviews. His his interview at the press con- at the scouting combine press conference. When you go up there and talk, I came away from that, like, this guy is going to be unbelievable when it comes to being the face of a franchise, when it comes to relating to his teammates, like, what what he was. I I thought he was incredible, and I don't think that's the actual, I don't think his public perception, like, the image that he gives off publicly is how he comes off privately. But I expect him to be phenomenal, like, Tony Romo-esque when it comes to the way he calls games
1: and maybe an a rod kind of uh Could be. image correction because yeah I, th- I think there there's a perception of him as a as a difficult teammate that is for sure as, and as you mentioned before even if that maybe wasn't the case in his last couple of go rounds
2: all right we've been doing some talking about the approaches of the the different head coaches in the nfl this morning and i know we brought up joe judge and his uh
0: I don't know, old-school
2: disciplinarian style after the fight that the Giants had earlier this week. We'll listen to him talking about it, and then, by contrast, we'll listen to Robert Sala and see what you guys think. This is Joe Judge.
1: Listen, when something happens, there needs to be feedback. Now, I've talked about this before. I know a lot of people out there are questioning, why are we doing this or that? Yeah, I got it. I explain to my players all the time, okay? When you get a 15-yard penalty, you've got to run that much further on the field to score. When you have a consequence of that where you have to run right away... That enforces that, hey, listen, I can't afford to make that mistake. When there's an issue with ball handling, substitution, lack of focus, whatever it may be,
0: there needs to be some kind of reinforcement right away. It's not always running. Sometimes it is, you know. I don't disagree with that point. Here's here's what I'll say is dumb about what he does, is that he does it publicly, and it's about look at me. It's about I'm instilling the toughness. I'm the disciplinary, and I am the boss who say so says, determines... And that works better in college. I think there are limits to how it works. It works better in high school than it does in the pros. And and that idea that I am the it's my way or the highway, and you you play at my discretion. That stuff doesn't tend to have a long shelf life in the pros.
1: Where it are doesn't. your pelts? Because if you don't bring pelts with you, then I I feel like it's a lot harder to have credibility behind what you're trying to lay down. Because you know if Tom Coughlin for all his. Fultz had some pelts on the wall when he came back to Jacksonville. Obviously, the second time around, totally different situation because he's not even a coach anymore. But you got to have some track record of success, I think, for this to work, which is weird because, you know, all these guys are coming from the same tree and there has been success. But they're clearly not Bill Belichick.
2: All right. I'll let you listen to Robert Sala was asked about not directly about Joe Judge, but about trying to make players do push-ups, laps, etc. And this was his response.
1: You know, there, there's, there's many ways to do it. There are, there, there are many ways to do it. For me, it's more of accountability. Try to, try to create accountability w- with self rather than forcing accountability. Uh, these players are, are grown men.
0: You couldn't have said it better. If you're trying to create accountability. You can do that without making a big show of it publicly. You, you can do that. And I'll even say that I think Belichick does that. I don't think Belichick makes a big deal about, look at what a tight ship I run. I think most of what he does is done behind closed doors. And I think that players will tolerate a lot more than if they feel they're being publicly shown up by their coach.
1: Can, can I add something to the Giants coaching staff? I just saw this pop up on Twitter. So Jason Garrett... He came out to his press conference. He's wearing a Giants t-shirt above the New York Giants logo written in a Sharpie marker. It says fight. And What? Yes. And then he was asked about it. The people I admire most are people who fight. That doesn't necessarily mean a physical fight on the field, but you want to have that spirit. There is a picture of Jason Garrett with a t-shirt and it says fight over it. This is really fun to watch from the outside. This is really fun. I can't get enough of this. Judge, judge, judge.
0: It's like a, it looks like what you would write in it. It is. It's like written with a Sharpie. Marker. Literally a Sharpie marker. That's hilarious. <laughs> I Daniel can't wait Jones. to watch this. I can't wait to watch what this season is going to look like for the Giants. I get either. This is, all, this is amazing. It's Danny and Gallant. We'll get into a little bit more motivational tactics. Maybe, maybe dip <laughs> back into Urban Meyer. That's all ahead. You are listening to Danny and Gallant,
2: powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios
0: on seven hundred and ten ESPN Seattle. Now here are your hosts,
1: Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant.
0: Maybe the pendulum in the NFL has swung back to tough guy coaches. Maybe that's what's hmm. happened. I, I don't because know. for a while, Pete's style was very popular, right? Anybody that Dan Quinn, Gus Bradley music's being played at practice there's a different sort of feel of pro player like a positive player environment I think Robert Robert Sala re- reflects some of that 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 we're not going to coach through fear and then it was we want the whiz kids anybody that had even had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay was getting hired to be a an, an, uh, head coach Zach Taylor all of the other people that were taken from his staff and appointed to to job. give me the young whiz kid who's going to be able to to call place Cliff Kingsbury's getting a head coaching job after he gets fired by Texas Tech. And now perhaps it is it's time for the tough guy coaches Joe Judge, Urban Meyer. Mm. Dan Campbell in Detroit. Maybe this is part of a bigger swing.
1: I, I don't know. I don't think it's going back because there seems to be such a dramatic pushback to it from not just NFL media, but also those who used to play the game. And I think that they realize that things have changed a little bit. Now, maybe there's a generational gap. And I actually think that multiple coaching styles can work, including I, being I being the Harlow High School type or the extreme
0: opposite Pete Carroll. See, I don't think Hardo High School type works in 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 the pros. I don't I don't think that I don't think that lasts in the NFL. And I think a lot of guys have looked at Belichick's style and mistaken what he does for being the tough guy. It's my way or the highway. When there's something much more complicated that Bill Belichick does, and the reason he's successful is not because of how stern he is, but because of the success that he is able to create for his players.
1: With him, too, it's all this behind-closed-doors way that he does it, and it's, it's not quite what I think people would have described Bill Parcells, his predecessor and the guy who he coached with, because Bill Parcells was very much, I think, along, along those lines, maybe more personable than someone like a Joe Judge, but I, I feel like that kind of coach, it, def, it definitely worked for certain players, how do you be that guy today is really, I think, difficult. I, I, I don't know. I I don't think that teams are going to go back towards that. I feel like we're still in the age of the, the young guy. Because we saw Brandon Staley hired this offseason. He was probably coaching target number, numero uno amongst all available candidates.
0: An NFL coach who tries to put himself in position to showcase his high standards and his toughness, who tries to challenge his players... I don't think that lasts in the NFL. I,
1: I, I think I think there's truth to it, but I also think it can work for a little bit.
0: Joe Judge having his players run after a team-wide fight and do push-ups, I, I, I think is about Joe Judge showing everyone how much control he has. And I think the NFL players, that NFL players will tune out of that and will sit there and, and watch. And that's, I felt the same way with Mike Singletary with the San Francisco 49ers. The example of someone who has worked in that style is Tom Coughlin, who won two Super Bowls with the Giants. I think there's more to it, but that that would be a valid counter example. I also look at what happened in Jim Moore's year here at the Seattle Seahawks. There's a lot going on there, and there were certainly personnel issues. He did not have a good roster. When you look at the guys that were starting on that team, that where those guys were two and three years later— he didn't have much talent to work with. But there is no doubt in my mind that there were issues over the course of that year that related to how Mora managed the team, starting with grueling two a day practices he had in August. And I, I whether that took a long term cost on the players' legs in November and December when the, the, the season went into a death spiral, or that was just hey, the, they didn't have the horses and they were undersized in a lot of different spots that when guys feel that they're being showed up, when players feel that they're being sort of made examples of and, and having their professionalism challenged, I, I think that's a death knell for a coach because I think then it becomes a matter of time until whenever the whenever time gets tough, that guy's not going to be able to rally people together and make right. the charge over the mountain.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that happened with, I think, Bill O'Brien, and I, I, I would point to with... Um, having a brain fart all of a sudden. But in, in, in the case that you were just describing, when you have someone that's going down that road, it's a matter of, hey, like, is someone going to get in the way? Call me out on it. And also, I, I feel like, too, some players are just going to see certain coaches and they're like, that guy's unhinged, right? And, I mean, isn't that isn't that an impression that Jim Moore Jr.? I know from the outside looking in, like, that, that was something I saw. I was like, wow, this guy's angry a lot, like, really angry, you know? It wasn't the anger
0: because dudes can deal with anger. Hol- Holmgren had some serious anger. He would vent at people. What it was, uh, uh, the best example I can give is that they played the Houston Texans and they went down there and it was, I think it's it's a December game. It might have been late November. Marcus Truffaut had been on the injured list because he had a back issue. It was the first game he was active. Andre jo- he was matched up against Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson had like 145 yards receiving midway through the second quarter and they just destroyed the Seahawks. After the game, Mora in his press conference started going off on the center Chris Spencer, asking why was he snapping left-handed? I think there'd been three botched exchanges. He's got why is he still got a cast on his thumb? Why is he still got and and afterward, afterward and, and I was there. Chris Spencer was, he was playing hurt. He was playing with a broken right thumb and he was snapping left-handed and he had a tough day doing that and he didn't realize what his coach had said when the reporters went in there into the locker room. He didn't realize what Mora had said about him. And look, a player there, he's like, I- I'm actually giving up my body. I'm doing the best I can with a broken thumb to snap with my other hand. And then I have somebody questioning yeah. my toughness and saying, I don't understand why he's still wearing a cast on his thumb. And that, that sort of thing. So it's that... Judge is obviously not doing that, and that was uh, just a gross miscalculation on Mora 's part, right? I mean, you you call out someone's toughness, you 're going to unite the entire locker room against you, and it's but it's that sort of thing of it's not my fault, it's these guys that don't listen it's not my fault they got into a fight and did this. It's because I need to show them and I need to tell them what toughness really is. And I'll I'll say the same thing with Urban Meyer, having this winners and losers thing where he's announcing it like it's some sort of objective measurement of football talent and saying you are what your record is. It's I'm the ultimate arbiter. You need to to listen to me for my results. I don't think that works with grown men. I, I do not think that works with professionals who make millions of dollars. I think there's a limit to how hard you get guys to play with them. And I think that when it comes to you get more coaching out of encouragement than you do out of negativity.
1: You probably do today. I do think there is an element of, though, when you do what Joe Judge is doing, where you will have some of those players also become essentially the, what's the word, motivators of the other guys on the roster. Because you're going to have players getting mad at other players. And because this person's failures are bringing us all down. This person's mistake decision is making us all run laps it's making us all so that guy better shape up and, and honestly it sort of leads to you know some
0: cannibalism perhaps on the roster look i'm this is do you really think that happens though 25 year old dude who's making millions of dollars shouldn't they be looking at it i think those guys look at it and say like that's his job like, don't make me accountable for what he does. He's a grown man who's responsible for his own decisions. And if he's a knucklehead, and you are gonna pr- like, this isn't it, this isn't high school. That's that's what's tricky. That's what's tricky because you are right;
1: it should be that kind of accountability. But we're talking also about like the the ultimate team sport, and there is this idea that you are you are as good as the weakest person there, and you need to bring everybody up to the same level. So I I, I guess that's that's the tricky element, and that is something that sort of collectivism. That is no longer really, I, I would say, a part of today's culture. Does that make sense? Like, I, I think it's just becoming less and less, not just in football, but a- elsewhere. Where you know that that kind of
0: idea of Is this the softening of America.
1: I, no, is this that's, is, that's not what we I'm saying. want. We
0: want to say things. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. <laughs> no, no facts don't care about your feelings. No, that's that's that's
1: not what I'm saying. I I, I feel like now we we are we are very individually minded mm-hmm. to a point where. That might not be something that back in like the 1950s or 1960s was was just a totally different kind of mindset where I, I think there was a little bit more of a for the greater good idea in people's minds. If that makes sense.
0: See, I think that we found out that the idea of how to work toward the greater good doesn't involve scaring someone out of their wits to believe that their jobs in jeopardy and, <laughs> and kneeling in deference to an ultimate authority. It's Danny Gallant. We'll get you into a little bit of this, but we've actually got some time to raise flags. That's coming up next. From the pocket and flags everywhere. Flag on the play.
2: Now there's a flag down.
0: Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. All right, after planting my flag... Deciding that the hill I'm going to die on is over hard O NFL coaches that I'm not I'm not a, any of these guys that are trying to make a big deal about how tough they are and those sort of things that that doesn't work. I, I'm going to raise a flag to Dan Campbell who I think I think I might like I I think I might coming like around
1: I I like him come on join join us it, he's a fun personality and I I don't
0: think that the quotes that he is saying mean that he is going to be bad as a head coach? He's saying something we'll get into that in just a second but here's one of them here's one of them that sold me it told me one thing is that a most football writers don't really understand coffee sizes but this is this is a jarring amount of caffeine for Dan Campbell to start his day with.
2: Well to normally what I do is I get I'll get two venti I go you know Starbucks I get two venti of the pipe with two shots in them so black eye in both (laughs) That's what I come in with. That's how I start the day, so.
0: And somebody was like, it's 80 ounces of coffee. I was like, somebody's never ordered a venti. They're not 40s, dude. Like, you don't buy a 40 of coffee. Like, he is getting 40 ounces of coffee total, but it's not 80. Um, But dump into it. That's extreme. That's an extreme amount of caffeine. There's a certain level that I get to where I do get the jitters, and
1: I have generally found that it has come when I've had double shots of espresso. Where I actually feel like, okay, I probably had a little bit too much.
0: I'll have two shots of espresso each morning, but it's usually in an Americano, so it's... See, it's that's, what, that's what that's what
1: I do. There's this one place that I go to that's around the corner from my place, and I, and every now and then I get the, the double shot Americano, and every single time I have, I've been like, whoa, you need to calm down, Paul. It's a lot.
0: Oh, man. Well, I got something else to say in just a second. Okay. But... Uh, Dan Campbell was asked I guess a couple of rookies got into a fight. Mm-hmm. Uh it was one of them was uh, Amon Ra Saint Brown and then there was another. I think it was a defensive back. Uh, maybe um Melifonwu, I think I, I think Obu, it's Melifonwu. Yeah, I think they got into a fight at practice and Campbell was asking about it. And he said, "Look, fights happen. You can see red. That he thinks that there's value in seeing two guys that get pushed to the point where they're seeing red." And even if it boils over a little bit and they get into a fight that he doesn't want to see fights, he thinks fights, when you start having too many of them, get in the way of accomplishing anything at practice. But he was basically like, yeah, I think there's some value into two guys pushing each other so hard that they start to go over the edge so they can learn how to play at that edge without going over. And then a guy asked him, he's like, well, how do you balance not wanting to do something that will cause a a personal foul in a game because that'll cost you 15 yards? He goes... You tell him not to fight in a game because it'll cost you 15 yards. But this isn't a game. It's practice. And I was like, you know what? I actually, like, it sounds like a hard thing of, like, I don't mind the fight. But I was like, there's actually some rationale. Like, I, 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 I see the logic of Mr. Caffeine there. I think that in this role where he is a figurehead with
1: a great assistant coaching staff, that Detroit could be annoying. This year, I don't know if that means that they're going to be a competitive team anytime soon. I can't say enough good things about Aaron Glenn, their defensive coordinator, who I I, has been long overdue in my mind to get a defensive coordinator gig. And they have some other ex-players that are aboard. It looks weird from the outside, but I think on the inside, because of all those ex-players that they have, I, I I think it can work. They just got to find a quarterback.
0: You talked about Jason Garrett having fight written on his shirt in the black permanent marker. Do we have an update? Yep. Oh, no. He left as he left the podium after having an in-person press conference, which they had not had in a year. Did he fight someone? Uh, He said, good to see you guys. We said, good to see you in person, Jason. Quote, we say, good to see you, coach. That's how we do it. He told the reporters to call him coach.
1: But you're, you're a coordinator.
0: Yeah, not only that, I'm not calling anybody coach. No, we are not. To. We are not living in England. We don't work for you. We do not work for you.
1: I, titles are so dumb. Oh, just
0: oh. that's that's what, that's, that's, what, that's what you get with Joe Judge. I'm an L. You're a coach. That's what you get with Joe Judge. Mora, what do you got a flag for?
2: Um, I'm gonna raise a flag for. I, I just saw the um, Yankees and White, White Sox have revealed their uniforms for the Field of Dreams game. Um, and the White Sox had the like one of the worst of those street wear uniforms that they did. Like Tony yes. LaRusso looked like he was trying to be like pretend they to be like a young pants. hip-hop guy or something. How you doing, fellow kids? <laughs> yeah. Um, but these are really cool. They're really they just good. classic and clean looking. Yeah.
0: The the Field of Dreams uniforms, Yankees, White Sox both look very good.
1: Can't say anything good about the Yankees going into tonight's series. Come on now. The I'm White not Sox saying Sox look good about good.
2: the Yeah, I'm looking at the picture of the White Sox Thank one you, right I now. Yeah. yeah.
1: Ugh. A pucks upon ye (laughs) Yankees. Paul, what do you got? I'm going to throw a very quick flag for a guy who's actually stood out at Seahawks training camp thus far. And maybe this is as far as it goes. But rookie out of Arizona State safety, Ashari Crosswell, has looked pretty good over the last couple of days. For those who are going out there, he's wearing number 39. He's been all over the place. And yesterday in particular, he made a couple of big plays to the point that Pete Carroll even talked about him and said, like, yeah, you know, we thought he could do something. But, man, he's, he's been showing and surprising more than we thought he would, I, I would say. And we saw from Ryan Neal last year, Ryan Neal's a pretty capable player. I, I, I think that he has a chance to work himself into maybe a positional battle or a roster spot battle with that of Ryan Neal if he's able to keep it up. He's been playing at a really high level. And hopefully, he will be able to keep it up. I like to see some of these guys who you haven't heard of, the undrafted rookies, get their shot here and potentially be able to make a roster. And I don't know, who knows, turn it into the next great Seahawk defensive
0: back. I'd love to see it. I love those sort of stories. Absolutely love those sort of stories. That's going to do it for us today. I want to thank Jerry DePoto for joining the program. Talk to him, our weekly visit with the Mariners GM. The professor John Clayton, Brock Heward, who's on his way to Canton this weekend for Peyton Manning's induction into the Hall of Fame, should be a pretty cool moment for him. Mora Dooley, who is back in effect, keeping everything on the straight and narrow, and he is Paul Gallant. And yeah, he he'd run he'd run those punishment laps if he asked him to, and then tell everybody else to get in line.
1: And he is Danny O'Neill, and he bends the knee to no coach, That's never, right. not today, not ever. Free Danny. Up next. We'll take a look at Seahawks training camp. The offense, it's struggled, not the end of the world. But what are you looking to see out of the offense over the next couple of days, weeks, and what do they need to be better at going into the year? We'll talk about that in a whole lot more next.